Uh, good morning, Grace Point. My name is Andrew. If I haven't met you already, uh, I'm one of the church family here, and I want to echo Dan's welcome to you. It's really so lovely to have you here with us this morning. There's an African proverb that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think we get the sentiment of the proverb, but I think we question and doubt the reality of the proverb. Often I think we ask, are we really better together? I don't know about you, but I know for me, I can often be thankful for Jesus, but rather grumpy about Jesus' people. Yeah, 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 God is good, but the church is kind of insufferable. Yeah, Christ is refreshing, but Christians take it out of me. Church can sometimes feel like something that gets in the way of my faith rather than aiding my faith. I can grow in my faith with Jesus by myself, thank you very much. Are we really better together? My hope today is that God would grow us to see how church, how each other being together is better, richer, fuller, and that even when church sometimes seems to be a speed bump slowing us down, it's actually not a bug, it's a feature. That God's good design of togetherness is better for you, for me, for everyone. We'll see that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-3.13, that it's all about how Paul and the Thessalonian church lived, knowing that in the gospel, they were better together, even in all the costs and sacrifices of being together. There's an outline in the bulletin in your seats. Pop it open. It will help you follow along. We'll see how Paul and the Thessalonians are better together in suffering, how they will be together forever, and how they would be together again soon. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father God, what we have not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. Who we are not, please make us. Would your spirit cause our hearts to respond to your word, to see how Jesus has made his church better together. Amen. Firstly, Paul and the Thessalonians are together in suffering. You remember that the Thessalonian church were a young church. Paul had shared the good news of Jesus with them over just three weeks. The Thessalonians believed before Paul was kicked out. And the Thessalonian church suffered in persecution. And you might stop here and wonder, persecution? Suffering? That kind of sounds like a bug. However, once again, persecution for the Christian is not a bug. It's a feature. In chapter 2, verse 13, Paul talks about them accepting the good news of Jesus, not as words from men, but as it actually is, the word of God. How does Paul know that the Thessalonian church accepted it as God's word? Well, verse 14 tells us. Paul knows because of how they lived. What did they do? They became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which were suffering in persecution. Suffering for Paul is a mark of being Christian. It's a mark that the word of God has been received as the word of God. It's a feature, not a bug. And this is where togetherness comes in. Second half of verse 14, 
you suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews. The Judean church suffered from the persecution of the Jews. The Thessalonian church suffered from the persecution from their own people. Paul is saying, don't be dismayed that you're suffering. It's a mark that you've received God's word as it actually is. Real Christians suffer your suffering, just like real Christians. In fact, he goes even further to show the solidarity. It's not just the Judean churches that were persecuted, but also the Lord Jesus, the prophets, and us. You're being treated just like we are, just like God's Old Testament prophets who spoke God's words were, just like your Savior, Jesus, was. We are all being persecuted together because that's what happens when you receive God's word. It's kind of like my experience studying this year. I'm in my last ethics lecture for the entire year, and I think I've gotten the hang of what I think we're meant to be doing. And then the teacher opens his mouth, and for the next two hours, I start to wonder whether I've learned anything at all this year. Oh my gosh, an entire year of ethics. Maybe I haven't learned it at all. I hope you haven't had this experience before. I was feeling a bit panicked, so after class, I went to a few of my classmates and I asked them, I think I've been doing it all wrong. Everything he said made me think I've got it incorrect. And a whole bunch of them turned to me and said, me too. What was he talking about? I felt kind of a bit relieved. It's not just me, but... I was still a bit uneasy because my exam was in one week at this time. So I met with the academic dean of my college because I'm rather nervous. And he sits down with me and says, Popo, what do you know? I actually did know stuff, so don't worry. I tell him for the next 15 minutes and he says to me, Popo, you're doing it exactly right. That's everyone's experience. You've learned er er exactly what we're hoping to teach you. Feel the tension leave my body. And I think that's kind of the same kind of experience that might be happening in this letter with the Thessalonians. You could imagine new Christians in Thessalonica might be tempted to think they had done something wrong when they'd become Christian and were suffering. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You're right here with us. You're suffering in the same way as us. You're in the land of fire together with us. Keep going. That's the mark of a Christian. And that's the reminder that I need when I'm doing it tough for being a Christian. Now, I don't think that we're going through the same kind of persecution as the Thessalonian church or Paul or Jesus, but I do need to remember that when people treat me differently at work because I'm a Christian, I do need to remember it when family members scorn me when I make choices for Jesus or when it feels like my non-Christian friends are more sane than I am because following Jesus is like walking up a down escalator. You always get pushback living for Jesus. People look at you as weird and odd. It's always far easier to go down with the escalator than walk up against it. It's far easier to go with the tide of the world than against the tide of the world. But how encouraging and comforting it is to know in those times that you walk the same path as Jesus, even when it seems insane to everyone else. 
how encouraging and comforting it is to see other Christians walk alongside you, also going up the down escalator. When you feel like giving up and going with the way of the world, my prayer is that Grace Points would be a church where you might look back down the escalator and you'd see a whole bunch of other Grace Pointers walking up that down escalator too and saying, no, 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 you're not insane. You're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing. Turn back around, keep going, we're right behind you. That's a community that I need, and that's the community that we can be here at Grace Point, that as you're doing it tough for Jesus, share it with each other, and realize people are right there alongside you. Keep going. We're better together in suffering, because we'll help each other to keep going. Paul and Thessalonian church are better together in suffering. Togetherness is what gets them through. And the next section in verses 17 to 20 show us Paul's motivation, which is that Christians are together forever. And for Paul, that's an amazing thing because he loves them. He says in verse 17 that he sees their separation like being orphaned away. I think one of the most painful and desperate sounds you can ever hear in your life is a child being pulled away from their parents. One of Australia's darkest moments are the stolen generations, where our government for a hundred years took Aboriginal children away from their parents. Think of the emotional trauma of those children, the pain, the hurt, the confusion and separation in isolation. Paul is saying that's what it felt like for him to be orphaned away from the Thessalonian church, ripped away from the ones who loved him painstakingly, desperately. It's no wonder why Paul cries out, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul couldn't stop thinking about them. He tried again and again and again to get to them. But if you think about it, these are Christians that Paul knew for just three weeks. And he says these kinds of words to them. What's your reaction like when you hear this? If you're anything like me, you get a bit uncomfortable. Uh, Paul, that's a lot. You've only known them for three weeks, really. I can't imagine feeling that way about any other Christians. Paul, I think you're a little bit too passionate. But I think Paul would look at us, and he would also feel uncomfortable. I think he might look at the Western church of the 21st century and think, gosh, how emotionally stunted. Where's their love for one another? Why don't they value meeting up in person when they can do so freely? I think Paul would feel surprised at us, or, or maybe it's just me. But I think if we were to ask Paul, why do you feel like that? Why do you act like that? I think he'd say something along the lines of verse 19. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What will Paul celebrate and delight in when Jesus returns, it is the Thessalonians. 
They're the ones whom Paul will delight in, who they will glory in when Jesus returns. It's them. I think we sometimes think of the future when Jesus returns and we might long to see Jesus face to face. I know I do. Or we might long for our bodily resurrection. I'm there too. Knowing the future has sure hope for the Christian changes life now. But I think we don't often consider the future reality that Paul is motivated by here. He longs to meet Jesus face to face and he looks forward to the day where he will look around and he will see the Thessalonian church right there with him. God has made us relational creatures and so we will, so we will relate with him there and each other eternally in heaven. That's part of God's good design. And today we are to reflect that, to live that, to enjoy that. God has made us better together. That's why Paul is so emotionally distraught in their separation. That's why Paul makes every effort to see them. And I think Paul and the Thessalonian church are an excellent model to us. If you're a bit like me, a little bit emotionally stunted when it comes to loving other Christians, it'd be a great idea to read over these chapters again and pray that God would work in your heart to love people. I get how hard that is. To pray for specific people here at church. That God would help you to love them. That God would help you to long to be with them forever in heaven. This is a desire that I think rubs against our self-contained individualistic world. It prioritizes our needs, our wants, our self-actualization over the service and love of others. But it is a desire that you were made for, and a desire that helps you last. Living for yourself will get you somewhere fast. And sometimes, it actually will get you quite far as well. But I guarantee you, where it leads you to won't be a good place. You need people. And unfortunately, maybe fortunately, relationships take time. Relationships are messy, they make you go slower, but God in his infinite wisdom has made us for this. Um, You and I kind of know that in our society, efficiency is one of the highest values. We measure our usefulness, our value, our worth based on it. One of the frustrating things about relationships is that they are inherently inefficient. You can't speed track a relationship, you can't speed track yourself to love others like Paul, You can't control another person to give you what you want. You can't control another person to love you as you want. Completely inefficient. Yet, at the same time, completely necessary. And can have the power to be completely life-giving for you. Some of you have been here for 20 years, so you know a thing or two about slow, steady relationships the need to keep working things out as time goes on, the pain it is when someone leaves our gathering. Others of you, like me, have just joined Grace Points. And I think one of the beautiful opportunities that we have now because of the merger between our morning and evening services is the chance that we get to look at people we don't really know. You don't get how they work. You don't necessarily like them very much But the opportunity is that we get to work hard at serving each other in our difference. It's a beautiful thing, actually. What other community in the world does that? 
Here at Grace Point, we've talked lots about unhurried space, and one of the reasons why is because to have deep relationships, you need to give it time. God has made us better together. We will be better together forever in heaven, and we express that now with other Christians here at Grace Point. And it's not going to be fast, but we will go far together eventually. So, Paul and the Thessalonian church are better together in suffering. Being together forever is what motivates Paul, and so he wants to be together again soon. In chapter 3, verse 1, another separation occurs. Paul says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So, I decided to look up on Google Maps, and it tells me this. Thessalonica is five hours and one minute's drive from Athens. And that's with tolls, by the way. I think back in the day, I can't confirm this, but I don't think Paul had a car. Uh, Regardless, Paul's somewhere down here in Athens, and Thessalonian church is somewhere in that vicinity. That's where it is. Paul decides to send Timothy away from himself all the way up to the Thessalonian church in verse 2. Paul told us earlier in chapter 1, verse 1, that he sent the letter from himself, from Silas and Timothy. Those are the people who are with him in Athens at the bottom. Here though, in 3 verse 2, Paul goes to great lengths to describe Timothy because it shows the painful costs that Paul is paying as he sends Timothy away to the Thessalonian church. Timothy is a brother in Christ. It's a fellow believer for Paul when there's not many fellow believers around him. He is a co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel. A fellow worker when there's an entire city to preach to. Paul, as we know already, he's already distraught from being orphaned away from the Thessalonian church Losing Timothy is like a stab in the gut and then a twist. What is so important to Paul that he would do such a painful thing in sending Timothy away? Well, it's to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Because in verse 5, we know that Paul is ultimately concerned that the tempter had tempted them. That Satan would have tempted them to give up on Jesus, so ultimately his labor would have, in preaching the gospel, it would have all been for nothing. It would have all been in vain. So he sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And if you notice, when Paul says these trials, he doesn't mean the sufferings that the Thessalonian church are already going through. He's worried that the Thessalonian church will be unsettled by the sufferings of Paul and Silas and Timothy, their sufferings. We know that because the next sentence tells us, for you know quite well that we, not you, we are destined for them. Thessalonian church has already been persevering through their sufferings, doing quite well. What Paul is worried about is that they would look at his sufferings and they'd be like, oh, that's what's coming next for us. It means that Paul's situation is really bad. Yet even in that terrible situation, he worries for the newer Christians and whether they'd keep going 
with Jesus, and so painfully sends Timothy away from him for their sakes. Paul doesn't just want the Thessalonian church to start well, but to finish well and to continue well. They've done well, but together with Timothy, they'd go further. And so when Timothy comes back in verse 6, in verse 6, he comes back with good news about Thessalonians' faith and love. They remember Paul fondly and want to see him. In the midst of Paul's persecutions, verse 7, Paul, uh, he says, We were encouraged about you because of your faith. Paul can keep going up the down escalator because he looks back, and who does he see? It's the Thessalonians going up the down escalator too. Paul can face his distress and persecution again and keep going because it's not just him. It's not, he's not alone in this. It's all of Team Jesus fixated and focusing in faith on following Jesus, not the world. He says, For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. In the midst of all of Paul's pain in separation from the Thessalonians and from Timothy, he can exhale a sigh of relief and breathe easy again because they're going on with Jesus. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Paul is ecstatic. You can hear the smile he has on his face. Do you see how essential being together in the gospel is for Paul? It is crucial for him. And without it, he and the Thessalonians, they wouldn't be able to keep going without it. That is the joy and the privilege that you and I have today, right now, in trusting Jesus alongside other Christians because we can keep going further because of each other. Which is exactly why Paul values here so deeply being together physically as well. His future togetherness of being in heaven together motivates his desire to be present together physically now. You can see it in his prayer in verse 10. He prays that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Integral for Paul in supplying what is lacking in the Thessalonians' faith is being there physically. Uh, Sometimes we think that encouragement that we need in our faith is words or just information or just a message from our friend. And those things are important, but they're not the whole package. Notice Paul is writing them a letter here by hand that they will hear. They're going to hear his words. They're going to get the information that he's communicating to them. But to supply what is lacking in their faith, you can't just have a letter. He has to be there physically. In fact, earlier, that's the same thing that happened with Timothy. He could have just sent them a letter with information to comfort them, but Timothy himself in person, that was what was needed. But even more foundationally and critically, it's the same thing with God. What does God do? He comes himself in person, in Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And as Jesus comes... God comes. Physically, Jesus walks alongside people. Physically, Jesus 
embraces sinners. Physically, he eats meals with them. We look to Paul and the Thessalonians as an example only because they echo and mirror the great King Jesus. The, great, uh, the German pastor Bonhoeffer, who opposed Hitler, was regularly hounded by the police, regularly imprisoned. He regularly knew what it meant to be isolated from other Christians. And he writes this in his book, Life Together. The Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. He's saying that every time you meet a Christian, it's a reminder. God is present. That God has not left you. If you ever doubt that, look around you right now. Fellow Christians around you, you look in the face of Alan, in Eugene, Juliana, oh, God is is here. And Paul gets that. That's why he's desperately wanting to go back. What a sad reality to be isolated from Christians. Bonhoeffer, alongside his forefather Paul, he knew the pains of isolation. And he says something else that really challenged me. And it, re- it made me realize how much I take for granted the regular physical gathering like this, like CG, with other Christians. He says this, if there is so much blessing and joy even in a single encounter of brother with brother or sister with sister, how inexhaustible are the riches for those privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians? And it is a blessing and joy, isn't it? I got to go away with my CG last week, shout out best CG world, and have to say that. And we stopped and thought of the year gone by. We looked around the table and we were thankful for all that God had done amongst us, that all that God had done through us, thankful for how God had encouraged us through the lips of each other, in the presence of each other. And most of those moments weren't that big. They were small, little, regular moments that reminded us, oh yeah, Keep going. At the beginning of this year, I knew only one of my CG, apart from my wife, wife and one other person in my CG, I knew none of them. It took me lots of time, and I'm still getting to know them, but I know that I'm not here to go somewhere fast. I'm here to go somewhere far in serving Jesus alongside my wonderful CG, alongside my wonderful church. I'm still getting to know. You look around left and right, this right here is one of God's gracious gifts to you to do that because God knows that we are better together. You might look around at your community group, you might look around at Grace Point, and you might see all the flaws and failures, and let me tell you, there are plenty of them. You might feel the heaviness of carrying the burdens of others when others don't seem to carry yours. You may feel the conditionalness of the way that we might sometimes love. You might perhaps wish that others were less judgmental. You may feel and see every road bump here that makes relationships hard that make you want to give up on people here. But when you look at the cross, you realize that's exactly 
the people who Jesus came to embrace. He embraced the flawed, the imperfect, the judgmental, the unloving, the stubborn, the bitter, the frustrating, the impatient, the angry sinners. And he welcomed them into his family to be together with him. That's what his bride is like. That's what our church is like, stained as she may be, yet love beyond her wildest dreams. God's good design for you and for me is each other, as together we look up and see the great king who came up close, who died and rose to bring sinners together to himself and to each other, because he knew too that we are better together. Can I encourage us, 2024, 2023 wrapping up, to work out how to engage with each other, being better together, slowly, painfully, but over time, we'll get somewhere. Because being better together, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in the salvation of Jesus, you not only save us from sin, but save us into a family. Help us to feel our need for others in living as Christians and help us to serve others even when it comes self-sacrificially with our encouragement, our words, our presence. Would you please grow our church here to long to be together forever with you and together with each other? And Father, as we long for that, Help us to value now being together, knowing that you've made us better together. We pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.